Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. Glad to have you with us on the podcast this week. It is Rob Croyle. Hello. And Logan Daly. Yeah. Just the two of us. Just the... <laughs> just the... Uh... COVID driving us crazy. Yeah. I miss people. I miss yeah, them social so distancing much. is not fun. It's making it harder to have guests on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. We You're you're all stuck with us because, well, we can't get rid of this virus fast enough. Uh no, I think we'll we'll probably start doing some more Zoom uh Zoom calls to get some more other 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 voices on the podcast because y'all are gonna get tired of listening to us ramble. But uh- Good news is today we have tons of stuff to ramble about. Oh, man. Can you hear me rubbing my hands together? It's very exciting. Uh, so let's just dive right in. First off, let's talk implication. The implication this week was obedience is like a muscle. You got to use it. You got to work it. Gotta I'm paraphrasing it that. Daily. You got to exercise it daily. Well played. Huh, that's my last name. Yes, it is. Yikes. Never yeah. heard that one before. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm really good at daily exercise. Yes, you are. That might just be me sitting in my chair. <laughs> That's my type of exercise. Yikes. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, yes. So, obedience is a muscle. You got to work it out. You got to pump it up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got to use it. Yeah, Use it and, or lose it. And in context with this series of what it means to experience God, I feel like sometimes we're hoping for these great big moments, and we're just like, God, show me, show me where you want me. Show me, show me where you want me to. Move. Is it is it South Africa? Is it uh, sure? Is it Colombia? Like, where can I serve you? And show me this big exodus. Like, give me this big job to do. And sometimes when we're asking those questions, God's just silent. He's like, bro, I told you to go check on your neighbor. Mm. When are you going to do that? And I've had people come to me as a pastor and they, they want a bigger task within the church. Sure. And I'm looking at them going, I'm looking for faithfulness first. Absolutely. That has happened so many times with me. Yeah. You get, I mean, that's, that's something I've seen multiple times, multiple times. And I'm, I'm not that old. I'm a young, I'm a young spring chicken. Yeah. Is that a thing? I don't know if that's a thing. It's the thing now. Mm. Um, like I, I I'm, I'm a youngin. <laughs> I have not been around that many, that many years. I am, <laughs> as Jen Bartlett would want me to say, I am not the ancient of days. No, you're not. <clears throat> so, uh, <laughs> Jennifer Bartlett would want me to say, <laughs> yikes, yikes. Uh, the, the, the thing here is like I've seen this so many times where people they, especially in worship ministry, um, worship tech, any any of that stuff that's production and. And you get you get wrapped up in like there there isn't there is an aspect of ego that goes along with a lot of the creative type people, um, like it it just goes hand in hand with a lot of people, 
uh, and within the church, that can get real. Uh, it can get real interesting, and so you get people that are, you know, I want the, you know, I want to. Well, you, we'll use singers for an example, right? Um, they want to sing the, and I don't have any of these at Mission Ridge disclaimer, and I didn't have any of these at Pullman back when I was there. Miss you guys, love you guys. Uh, the divas, like. This is right. the cla- this is the classic example, right? You get you get some sort of singer that feels like they are the God's gift to the, you know, God's gift to the earth, which they very well might be. Sure. Like they sure. might be incredibly talented. Yeah, down through the roof. Just the best singer. They they might have come out of the Metropolitan Opera. Right. But if they if if they join the team and I'm like, I need you to play this part. I need you to play this or sing, not play this part. They're a singer. I need you to sing this harmony part. And it's super simple. It's not challenging. It's not out there in the front. It's just providing your piece of the pie, right? You're, you're, you're playing your role in the team. Absolutely. And if they can't, if they can't carry that out as they, as they need to, you know, maybe they start oversinging it or adding in a bunch of runs or I don't know, whatever. Sure. Uh, I've seen this play out on instruments. I've seen it play out in singers. It's not pretty. If you can't be obedient with the little things, how on earth am I supposed to give you something with of more importance? Yeah. If and and let's say. Let's say you do want to put them out front. You oh, want, sure. You want them to lead to the to the songs this weekend, but they don't have a tendency to show up on time. When they do show up, they're not prepared. They're not going to listen to direction. They're not going to. They're not going to. They don't know how. If you don't have the and obedience is directly correlated to humbleness. You bet. And humility, I think. You bet. Because it, it, you have to be able to hum, to humble yourself, to walk in humility in order to be obedient. I think, which, which is the kind of leadership that that Christ calls all of us to, and it's and he modeled, and it's it's the very process that you and I both went through to even be where we are today. Like, sure. I started serving in in a church at oh twenty. 22 23 sometime back when Noah was on the on the earth they were still chiseling at rock yes ancient of days uh yeah printers back then were much slower and then and at that point I couldn't have had this conversation I wasn't ready to talk about this like this I I had to learn to be faithful in the little things and and we want those big experiences, and we want God to use us, and and sometimes God just wants you to be faithful right here, right now, even if there's no applause. And, that's and that little see. that little thing that He gave you to do, yeah, just show up in that one little thing, and show some obedience in that. Absolutely. Engage engage in the present. Um, yeah. So I, I this is. 
I, I put it on the uh, for the podcast, the description for this week's sermon. I, I opened it up and I was like, you know what? This is maybe the most important aspect of experiencing, experiencing God. Because all of the other stuff that we have talked about, if you don't get this obedience bit, I, I don't know if any of the rest of it matters. I, I have to agree. That's our bar, that's our part. Like that's if the all of this other stuff is good and will fall into place and you can have all of that figured out, but if you're not actually gonna step up to the plate and and obey. Well, it was all it was it was a good mental exercise. It's all yeah. good info, I guess. But Yeah. It reminds me of the parable of the sower where Jesus says that the cares of the world starts to take over a person. And sure. so and so something springs up quickly because it's you know sowed amongst amongst the rocks. Yeah. Um it it comes up quickly, but there's no root, and that root is obedience. Mm. Mm-hmm. That root is obedience. And and we have to we have to push the rocks aside. We have to in, in our own heart, we have to push those aside. We have to deal with the weeds. We have to deal with uh, the thistles. We have to deal with anything that gets in the way of us experiencing God. And that is our part. We can prepare ourselves through daily obedience, through going. And, you know, and even if we falter and, and get back up and at least we're heading the direction that God's calling us to. Mm-hmm. You know, we're not talking perfection here. Nope. We're talking about a heart that says, okay, you were right. I'm going to have to figure this out. I know you're going to leave me in that. You Absolutely. Know, and, and that's why I take it back to our definition, what it means to be a disciple. We follow Jesus. When we follow Jesus, we figure out, oh, wow. Man, there's so much that needs to be changed about me. Pretty oh, soon you start getting changed by Jesus. Changed by Jesus, yeah. And you do that enough, and then you, what you're actually doing is you're starting to be on mission with Jesus because he wants to do that work in you and joining in his work in the world and in his work in our own hearts and our own lives is the mission of Jesus. Yep. And this is how he's changing the world. Good stuff. Good stuff. I yeah. like it. I like it a lot. All right. Well, we got a ways to go here still. So let's dive into. Uh, you said in the sermon we were going to unpack this a little bit more. Uh, with uh, you were reading out of Matthew twenty six. This is the section where Jesus is going off to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, and uh, <clears throat> the disciples are falling asleep. They're conking out. Mm-hmm. Uh, as all good little disciples would do. And why are they conking out? Um, well, I mean, it's it's probably late at night, and uh, they just uh, had a wee bit, uh, a wee bit of the drink with their four cups of wine at the seder, the, the Passover meal. Yeah. That they were doing, and what's interesting? I don't know. Yes. What's interesting about the four cups is the the Mishnah, and the Mishnah is is a document that dates back to. The time of Jesus. Um, it's kind of a handbook. Well, it's a legal code of the Second Temple, Israel. 
legal code of the Second Temple of Israel. Yeah, it, it's this is com- the it's commentary on Torah. It, it's actually a guidebook for how to follow the rules for for how to live out things like Sabbath, uh, observing the Seder meal, those kinds of things. Sure. And in one of the tractates on uh, Pesach, is it? Is it really, really wrong of me to think of this? In my mind, I have the image of, like, Idiot's Guide to Torah. No, I think that's... Like, the or, or Torah for Dummies? Tor, Torah for... Yeah, I think that's... <laughs> like um, this, is, this is what I have in my mind. Yeah. You're putting this in layman's terms for, like... So I don't have to, I don't have to go parse out and wrestle through this like the rabbis did. They've done this for me. The sages, the sages have wrestled through this stuff and put it into terms that I can understand and and then live out. Right. And, okay. you know, we've looked at, like, uh, we've talked about uh, Shammai and Hillel. Yep. These are a couple of the rabbis that are quoted their opinions. Uh, it, it's also kind of comparison to, like, uh, we have, uh, like, these Supreme Court mm. rulings. And then they write they write their commentary on it. They're, yes. Yep. Yep. So be along those lines. And so... Okay. Cool. Um, it's important it's a, to understand that. It's a very, it's a legal document, and it gives us a picture into how Jesus and his disciples would have lived this out, uh, lived out their Judaism at that time. In the Mishnah, in one of the Mishnahs, it, it, it tells you that uh, even a poor person is to have no less than four cups of wine provided for them. You got to have it. It's it, it's fascinating from the standpoint that uh, it assumes you know that you you're supposed to drink four cups of wine. I think uh, you probably get about four glasses of wine, four solid glasses of wine, out of a bottle. So you're like this is not a small this is not a small amount of wine that they have imbibed. So if you've had that much uh, beverage. And then it's late, and you've had a you've had some food, and you've had some beverage, and you're going off into the garden with Jesus, and it's a nice, calm night out. It's probably a little warm, right? Yeah. Cool of the day. It's it's chilly, maybe cooling down. The crickets are chirping. I don't know if they have crickets over there. I Find can... a you know, they got some crickets. Or there, there's bugs out there. Maybe some fireflies. I don't know. Cricket esque. Yeah, you know, there's there's whatever nightlife is going on. The owls are hooting, and uh, you just kind of settle down there. And I know me personally, if I tried to pray, I would quickly descend into deep prayer, a.k.a. dreamland. So that's, yeah, we we, we see the disciples, they're conked out yep. multiple times here. <laughs> and I really can't hold it against them. I would not, no. I cannot say I would do any better. Uh, so anyway, conking out in the garden, Jesus is praying, and he says this phrase, oh, that's the other thing. Jesus is praying in the garden, but they're falling asleep. How do we know what Jesus is praying? Because right after this, Jesus gets arrested, and then he gets killed. And yeah, they're asleep. That's, um... my, my father hit me with this question. was like, hey, this be a good footnotes fodder? And I was like, that's a great question for footnotes. Yeah, so some possibilities that we've talked about, I don't know, there, there could be more, is that... Somehow the Holy Spirit filled in the gaps for them. Yep. Or Jesus does spend 40 days 
with after his the resurrection. After the resurrection, and so they could have asked him. They could have asked what him. What were you praying? You know, and if he goes, if he goes any distance at all, you may not know what he's praying, even if you're awake. Sure. You know, and so it is interesting that the the scriptures. I've always found this fascinating. It's always kind of scared me. The scriptures are very forthright in what people do. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, you know, it does not shy away from, uh, you know, Judah going into t- Tamar, his his daughter-in-law. Mm-hmm. You know, and so how how does that happen? Uh, you know, we I, I think about the the biographies that we have of of people today and how much of a picture though people want to hide certain things like like Watergate. Oh sure. You know, people want to, you know like like Nixon clearly didn't want that to come out. And yet it did. And yet it did. We know that he said of uh John um Colson uh let him s- Twist slowly in the wind. <laughs> his one of his, one of his key aides. Yep. Yeah. You know, like we know that quote, and so the things that we want to keep secret uh, probably won't. Yep. They won't be secret. So when I was researching this, there was you. You already mentioned uh, at least two of these. Uh, so there's there's kind of four trains of thought that people would would give as options. Sure. Uh, First one was that there's somebody else there that wasn't a disciple that stayed awake and knew it and told them. Right. <laughs> okay, so that that's a possibility, I guess. Not one not one of the twelve. Not one of the twelve. Even Just, though part of Jesus' yep. party, probably probably one of the gals. <laughs> oh, dude, it was one of the women. <laughs> Shoot dang. All right. They <laughs> my wife is the recorder of my life. I don't know what happens. Oh man. You know, oh man. I, I have to go. What, hon, what happened ten years ago? And blah blah blah. She, and she tells me, "I'm like, okay, thanks." <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. All right, so we got we got that possibility that yep. there's there's a third party that we we just not told about. Sure. Um, there's the possibility that uh, Jesus told them after the resurrection, during that forty day time. Sure. Uh, they're they're chatting with him. They're talking about stuff. They and they they get it there. Uh, the possibility that it was just the Holy Spirit. Yep. Could just be that the Spirit, maybe one of them had a vision. He seems um, to be everywhere. You know, he kind of does that that sort of thing. Um, probably within God's power. I don't want to assume anything, but it feels like a safe assumption. Sure. Uh, and then the, the fourth one, which I'm not going to give any credence, is that it's all just made up and a fairy tale. Because mm. I don't think that that's true. So, but there is that that theory that you know is all a bunch of hullabaloo. Sure. And sure. if you know, I, I you can, you can go and wrestle with that. Uh, there's there's probably other theories out there. Um, we kind of came up with uh, a variation with the women just now. So uh, you can go research this. We put forth a new theory. <clears throat> let let it be wrestled with. Let it, yeah. Uh, so if you do find anything, though, let us know. Comment. Uh, send us an email. Shoot us a text. Marco Polo. Something or another. Yeah. And uh, love to hear about that. But th- it's it's a good thing to wrestle with. Like don't don't just gloss over these things. Um, put them 
put them to the test and wrestle with these things. Sure. So anyway, that was a fun one. We figured we'd, we'd talk about that a little bit. But while Jesus is praying in the garden, he says this phrase, let this cup pass from me. Yeah, which is interesting because you already said there's there's four cups. Yeah, there's four cups in the Seder meal. Um, what do those four cups represent <clears throat> to the Jewish mind as they are? Because it, right. it's not just that they're going, yeah, we should probably just you know have, yeah. have no, a significant amount of wine each, here. Each of these is uh, signifying something. And I am pulling from a couple of sources here. There, uh, one thing to keep in mind when you are researching this or you're looking at this is there is modern Passover traditions, and then there are ancient Passover traditions. And so you have to sort through these cups have taken on other significance uh, throughout the years. Like, uh, for example, they can uh, some it seems like some modern Passovers will uh, associate them with the four matriarchs of of the four. Uh, Sarah, Rachel, oh, I'm forgetting the wives now. Anyway, the wives of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and um, drawn a blank. Hmm. Okay. All right. Anyway, the four Mo- matriarchs. Moses? Uh, may- yeah, maybe. Mo- no. Maybe? Because. No. I don't know. You'd, you'd have Abraham, to go. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, those make sense. Joseph isn't really mentioned I as mean, a patriarch. Might be Moses. I I didn't spend a lot of time reading that because it's a modern one. Anyway, so you got these modern ones, and then you got the ancient ones. <clears throat> now, uh, relying on our buddy Marty Solomon a little bit here, also for his commentary on it, uh, but also just uh, what what they're signifying here. So the first cup is the cup of sanctification. And this is related to, I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, right? Because the Passover meal is tied with the Exodus. <clears throat> this, is, this is where they're getting it. When they're celebrating Passover, they're remembering the Exodus. Right. And then you have the cup of deliverance. I will free you from being slaves to them, right? So this is the, uh, Marty, Marty is in his blog you can go you can go look that up if you want the full commentary but the the spark note version would be like the cup of sanctification is i'm going think of yourself as an addict uh i'm going to bring you i'm going to bring you out from under this yoke of being an addict but then the next day the addict's going to be i think he says that the addict's going to be like but i'm going to still want to drink and the cup of deliverance is nope nope i'm going to take that away from you i will free you from being slaves to them then the cup of redemption I will re- I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and mighty acts of judgment. This is the this is remembering that God's going to redeem them. And then the cup of protection is the fourth cup. I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. They're going to remember Sinai here. They're going to remember the the marriage covenant here is my understanding. Uh, a disclaimer, I am not an expert at this. I'm merely throwing this out there to get you pointed in the right direction to go and explore this further if you want. So, when Jesus says, these are these are the four cups at the Seder meal, at the Passover. <clears throat> Excuse me. And so Jesus says, let this cup pass from me. What is he talking about? Well, cup? Um, so did you mention this comes out of Exodus 6, 6, these four statements? Yeah, I didn't mention Exodus 6, 6, but yes, I mentioned that it's coming out of Exodus. 
Yeah. So, yep. yeah. So he says, I'm the Lord, and I'll bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Yep. And I'll deliver you from their slavery, and I'll redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. Yep. And I'll take you to be my own people. people. I will be your God. Yep. Yep. And so, uh, if you look even at the Jewish encyclopedia with, of 1912, I think it is. Uh, it's online, 1906. So jewishencyclopedia.com, and you look up Seder. They're going to talk about the four cups, and then they're going to talk about a fifth cup, which was filled but not drank. Yep. And so as we watch Jesus and the Last Supper account... And this um, was called the cup of Elijah. Called the cup of Elijah. And as, as we look at uh, Jesus and his account with his disciples throughout um, the Gospels, we're going to see different parts of the... Um, we're going to see different parts of the Seder meal, which is a several several hour meal. Takes a while to eat through. It's experiential. To, yep, go through this. Yeah, and the and gospel recorders record different parts of, and so if you understand the ancient practice of of the Seder meal, you'll know what part of the meal. It's it's really it's really fascinating. Well, this fifth cup is the cup of Elijah, and they don't drink it because it's also called... The cup of wrath. The cup of wrath. Now, the, uh, my understanding is there's two sides of this. Elijah is to come, it, and when Elijah comes, he he brings Messiah with him. That's, mm-hmm. and, and Jesus talks about this in reference to John the Baptist, and Jesus says John the Baptist actually did fulfill this role. And so there's this, on the one hand, there's this this idea that that Elijah's going to come. If he comes, you better have a cup of wine for him. And I think that makes sense. <laughs> but but on the other hand, out Jeremiah 25, 14 through 16, it says, For many nations and great kings shall make slaves even of them, and I will recompense them according to their deeds and the work of their hands. Thus the Lord, God of Israel, said to me, Take from my hand this cup of wine of wrath and make all the nations who I send you drink it. They shall drink and stagger and be crazed because of the sword that I am sending among them. And so there's this fifth cup. And in the Jewish mind that when Messiah comes, he's going to hand out this cup. And sure. he's going to cause the nations to drink the wrath of God. And f- for the disciples of that time, I talked about this, that they had this mindset that he was going to push Rome out, and, and not just Rome, but but all the nations. <coughs> yeah. Messiah is going to bring and the, bring back the kingdom of Israel and reestablish it, and they were going to be... God's people, and they would be solid and ready to go. Right. Yep. And and then we come back to the words of Jesus, and he says, Father, if it is possible, 
let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And so Jesus has come to terms with the fact that he's going to drink the cup for the nations. Yep. He is going to bear the wrath of God. Yep. Which, here's another tasty little tidbit. If the fourth cup is the cup of protection. Right. When Jesus says in Luke twenty two eighteen, For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. So when, he's, when he institutes communion, which we celebrate every week, Jesus isn't drinking, at least according to Luke, Jesus doesn't drink of that cup. He gives it to the disciples to divide amongst themselves. And he says, I'm not going to drink of the vine, right? Until the kingdom of God comes. He doesn't take the cup of protection. And instead, the next thing we see in the garden, is he says, take this cup from me. He's going to drink the cup of wrath. He's going to take this on himself, which is, ooh, that's some good stuff. Yeah. That's some really... That's some tasty vittles right there. Yeah. So, uh, hopefully, during this Holy Week, as you uh, lead into lead into Easter, we're sparking some thoughts in your brain that you can chase down. Lord knows we all have enough time right now as we are socially distancing. Yeah. Spend a little <laughs> extra time getting into the text and uh, chasing down some rabbit trails. Now, now just the, to finish up this thought, Revelations yeah. 14, 9 through 11, mm. um, it talks about the wine of God's wrath. And, and I believe what John is, is doing here what the Holy Spirit is doing through John is saying, if you're not going to accept the, the Lamb of God, mm-hmm. if you're not going to accept Christ as, as your Messiah and live for his kingdom, that cup of wrath is still available. Like, you either get to pick Jesus and what he was willing to do for you on the cross, or if you reject that, you're picking the you, cup of wrath. You, you're picking the cup of wrath for yourself. Ooh. Oofta. Yeah. Woof. Mm. All right. Love that. That is that is fun stuff right there. Now, one other thing that we should talk about. Leviticus 10.10. 10. Kodesh. Kodesh. Yeah, holiness. Um, you know, so holiness has been something that I've wrestled with uh, as as a Christian. Uh, I was looking at a Bible dictionary today, and um, one of the first things it says is that is that people that there's this perception that holiness is tied to purity. Mm-hmm. And I I think there there's an aspect of holiness that you can connect to purity. I don't think that's wrong. But that might not be the entire story. Yeah, I think it's not complete, but not but not necessarily wrong. And so 
Leviticus 10.10 says, You are to distinguish between holy and common, and between unclean and clean. Mm. This is a chiasm. So you got holy on the outside, in the middle you got common and unclean, and now on the outside you have you have clean. So holiness and clean are connected. Common and unclean are also connected. Mm. And in the Jewish mind, in the Jewish text and Torah, there's a number of things that would make you unclean. And there was a process for becoming clean again to address your uncleanliness. Sure. And so this is about being a kingdom of priests. It's, it's about putting your God on display to the world. And and so is is purity part of the conversation when it comes to holiness? Yeah. Y- yes. But it's not the whole conversation. And so when when we talk about uh holiness when when Peter says that you are to be holy as God is holy, and he, he reminds us of that conversation. And, and I believe that comes out of Leviticus. I'll have to look that up. But um, I, I, I think about our... So, well, this connects directly to this idea of obedience, mm-hmm. of, of, the, of the, the things that God is calling to you to and being obedient to that. Now, that could, be, that could be little things. That could be the way you talk to your spouse, it could be the way you choose not to look at your neighbor's wife. It could be, um, yeah, th- yeah. There's just a whole litany of little things that you know. I mean, I mean think in terms of the commandments: um, choosing not to lie, uh, choosing not to steal, uh, loving your neighbor as yourself. Like these are these are the the commandments that God calls us to. That in the moment by moment, day by day. Obedience reveals our desire to be a disciple of Christ. But then it's also obedience to the big things. You know, the first time that I chose to tithe, like, it was like, whew, I'm not making a ton of money here. But I feel God calling me to this. Or the first time that I felt like God was calling our family to move from one town to another and from one church to, to another church, you know, I had to be o- obedient to that. Mm-hmm. Um, choosing to leave a secular vocation for a re- uh, ministerial vocation, mm-hmm. you know, being obedient to that is part of of uh, being set apart, being um, kodesh. And so I think in terms of our mission statement of raising biblical disciples who develop transparent relationships, sacrifice for others, and heal divisions, if you're going to be, if we're going to be a kingdom of priests, we're going to look different than our neighbors. We're going to value things at a greater level than our neighbors. And so being a biblical disciple, that that's about being Kodesh, being holy, being set apart, uh, looking different, uh, developing transparent relationships. I hear that's not a Montana thing. 
<laughs> like uh what's the what's the line uh been social social distancing for you know 150 years or you know something along those lines <laughs> yep <laughs> um yeah yeah some people just went on their normal lives and they were already social distance yep <laughs> you know there was no uh so well, we, Billy, we like to be we like to be ruggedly independent up here ruggedly independent and developing transparent relationships is not necessarily hand in hand with that all the time. Yeah, it's it's rugged, but it's not it's interdependent. Ooh, that's nice. <laughs> Ruggedly interdependent. <clears throat> uh, sacrificing for other people. I've I've done that f- for folks and I've had other people go, "Why would you do that? Mm. Why would you help that person?" I think of Jesus, you know, being anointed you know, his feet being anointed. Sure. And and the Pharisee going, if you knew what kind of woman she is, Jesus, he's just thinking this in his heart, you, you would not let her touch you. Mm-hmm. And, and Jesus went on to commend her. And so sacrificing for others and then healing divisions. Uh, man, we love our divisions in this country. We love to divide. Maybe we, a little bit. We, we we like to define each other in broad strokes. And put you on that side of the line or this side of the line. Yep. Yep. <clears throat> yep. Absolutely. Um, you know, and that could be that could be political, it could be uh social, economical, it could be religious. I, I I've seen Pick it. Pick a all. topic. We like to make a line and put people on one side or the other. Doesn't matter what it is. And yet we see Jesus with with disciples that represent every every social, economic, religious difference, political difference. Yeah, they're they're all across of, the spectrum there of Israel, and and he's got disciples drawn from most, if not all. Yeah, and and when they're all coming together, especially at his re- at his resurrection, mm. you know, like they've. They fall at his feet and worship him. Yeah. Like, this is the first time we really see Jesus worshipped. There's another thought. If, so, if they're all following Jesus, right? They're all following Jesus along, but they're all from these different, different factions, different. Yeah, different parts of the country. Different walks of life. Yeah. Jesus is crucified and dead. Yes. And they all run into hiding. But they're all together still. Hmm. If, think, think, apply this to yourself. If you were in a ragtag band of misfits <clears throat> following somebody, right? Think about even even within within a church, right? We've got different groups of people. And then something terrible happens, and there's a split, right? Something the leadership goes goes haywire, and there is a split, and everybody. What do we we naturally go our separate ways, and we go find the places that we are most comfortable. Yeah. And somehow, yeah. Somehow, Jesus through his through his ministry with these disciples, they have come to see these people that are completely different from them. And they might have vehemently disagreed with beforehand. Right. Uh, you had zealots and tax collectors 
that are both following Jesus here. And somehow, after Jesus is crucified, they're still, they choose to be together. Yeah, choosing to love each other. This, this, this crisis doesn't divide them. Yeah. They instead stay united. If that doesn't look like unity and diversity, I don't know what is. And, and if that is how Jesus' church started out, mm-hmm. I want to live, figure out how to live that out in Missoula. Absolutely. I want to figure out how to live like that, which is uncomfortable. No, that is not fun. It is. Not easy. It is uncomfortable. And and I know we have some people with some you know some fairly far right and some fairly far left thinking within our within our congregation and and I love that and mm-hmm. I love them mm-hmm. and I want to see that continue to, to grow just just because that's, that's what we see the first church I mean people were people and that's what like the church grew beyond borders there were there were no religious borders that got in the way there were no uh social economical borders that got in the way um you could be a slave or you could you could be at the top of the command um within the Roman army sure you know you and uh People were coming to Christ. It's good stuff. Good yeah. stuff. All right. Well, let's move on to our last topic of Seder shenanigans, as I'm calling it, which is just silly. Uh, it is. It is silly. But let's be honest. You don't expect anything different from me at this point. <clears throat> That's why they keep me around for the silliness. I'm like Larry from VeggieTales. Silly songs with Logan. But anyway... Uh, we were talking about the Seder. Now, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of weird things about why Jesus was having a Passover meal when he was having it, right? Yep, yep. So, if we just look at the Gospel of John uh, in John 13. It says, now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing the Father, had given him all things into his hands, and they had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, he laid aside his garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist." So this is this is talking about the Last Supper. Mm-hmm. Mark talks about this supper this way, and on the first day of unleavened bread, when they s- sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, "Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover?" So the supper that where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples is their celebration of Passover. Mm-hmm. So that's. Mark 14 and John 13, but in John 18, verse 28, it says that when the, uh, the, the priests, um, they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early 
morning, they themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled but could eat the Passover. Record scratch? What? What? So... Why are they eating the Passover after Jesus? Why yeah. Why are there two Passovers? Why are there two Passovers? This is so strange. Why doesn't it align? And there's a guy that I <clears throat> follow. Uh, his name is uh, Izzy Abraham. And he teaches Hebrew online through the Holy Language Institute. And one of the things that he does is he... He will go through uh, the Mishnahs. We talked about the Mishnah. Mm-hmm. It's this, this codification, this uh, interpretation of how do we live out Torah, sure. we being the Jews. But um, you know, he is actually a, a practicing Jew and a follower of Christ, both. And so he, uh, he'll read the Mishnahs and... and, and he talked about this, and, and the first thing we have to understand is the way we talk about days and times is different than the Jewish yep. people. Now, for this, we have a we have a little bit of a visualization for you, um, which you can either hop on. I'm going to throw this. I'm going to throw a picture of this up on our Instagram and Facebook, uh, so you can find it on there. Or I'm also going to try to put it in the show notes for this. Uh, to help you visualize this. If not, we're going to describe it for you and you can maybe sketch it out on paper as we talk about this because under getting the visualization is going to help you understand what the heck we're rambling about. Yeah, if you picture a sine wave, which is a perfect wave, which ours actually is not a perfect... I drew a beautiful up and down squiggly line. So draw yourself, draw yourself a U and then make it go into a mountain and then do another valley and then another mountain and then another so you do the up and the down a squiggly line right uh, yeah a wave when i first visualized this this way the sine wave yeah was when i was flying to israel and they'll when you fly overseas they'll show you this this little airplane and this line of where you're going to fly to sure. like this this trajectory and they show you where the sun is up and where it's, where it's light and where it's dark. Yeah. And it becomes this picture of this sine wave. Huh. And I found that so fascinating. Well, so Sabbath is on Saturday. Okay. And for us, if we were going to practice Sabbath here in the West, we would start roughly at 6 a.m. Sure. If we were doing something until 2 a.m. the night before, we call it last night. Last night, yeah. No, if I'm out on if I'm out Friday night with my friends and I get in at 3 a.m. when I'm talking to somebody on Saturday, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, I was out super late last night." Now, technically, 3 a.m. is part of Saturday, right? By our clocks and calendars, right? But the way we the way we live our lives, live our lives, 6 a.m. Is the earliest would really? I mean, maybe five a.m. Some people start their, but that's crazy. You'd have to be like an Aaron Couch or a Marty oh, to man. go yeah. earlier than that. That's just yeah. crazy talk. Truly but. sanctified. Or me yesterday. Come to think of it, yeah. I woke up at three, so yeah. that was you know. You're, that was last night. <laughs> <laughs> it was last night. 
that was that was Sunday night. You uh, just needed to go right back to bed. That's <laughs> I tried. It didn't work. Didn't work. I'm sorry. So, so we anyway, would start Sabbath. Yeah. We start our day with waking up. Yeah, with this with sun rising. Yep. Okay. Not not the Jews. They start theirs at sunset the night before. Which we talked about this a little bit back in Genesis when we were going through Genesis. I think it was right at the top, Genesis one. Yes. So when we so sat or uh, uh, Passover, Pesach, mm-hmm. in the Hebrew, Passover is on the fifteenth of Nisan, according to the Jewish. Not Toyota. Nope. Nissan, fifteenth of Nissan, and so that starts Friday night at uh, sundown for the narrative that we're reading. Um, That's when that would be, yeah, you know, for the life of Christ. All right, so we've established Friday night. Our Friday night would be the beginning of that, the fifteenth, the Passover. Yep, sundown, roughly six p.m. Yep. Uh, maybe a little bit later in in Israel. Uh, I think what our sunset is eight fourteen. So yeah, a little bit a little bit later. Yeah, but anyway. Um, <clears throat> so Jesus and his, and his disciples they eat Passover at the beginning of the fourteenth at sundown. On the fourteenth, and then Jesus uh he was he was betrayed in the middle of the night. Mm-hmm. Uh let's call it midnight. Yep. Of the fourteenth. We'd we'd we call that the fourteenth too. Yeah. Um, and so it's the morning of the 14th, heading towards Sabbath, heading towards the 15th. That all of this, all of, the, all of them going to... That Jesus uh, is crucified. Yep, that Jesus is crucified. And so uh, in the Mishnah, there's... This talk of, of so this. that what that means is that Jesus is eating this Passover two days, quote unquote, before. Well, one full day. One one full day. One full day. Yeah. Yeah. Before I, the the Passover. Right. Yeah. And so um, in the Mishnah, it it interprets how do you how do you partake in. Um, in the Seder meal, we already mentioned that uh, it, it, part of the Mishnah tells you that the poor people, they needed, if you're going to provide and help a poor person to experience mm-hmm. the Seder meal, it wasn't just the, the food, but you had to provide the drink as well. You had to provide sure. the four cups. They had, to, they had to be provided to the point of being able to partake fully yep. in this event. Well, the uh, the Israelites or the the disciples of Jesus were Galileans. They would have been considered pilgrims. They would have had to make a pilgrimage from Galilee 
to Jerusalem, and there was a festival offering that they could partake in that could be offered after midday on the 13th and then celebrate Eden mm-hmm. on the 14th and the 15th both. Gotcha. And so Jesus and his disciples were eating this voluntary festival meal, mm-hmm. and it was part of their celebration. And, and And the picture I get is is that for the, for the folks that were part of the weekly, that were living in Jerusalem, and they were there for the weekly, you know, sacrifice for this was, for, this was standard for them for Sabbath. I mean, it's, like, it's a big deal, but it's still they would walk out their door and walk across the street and go to the temple, and they'd offer up their sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And and now you have this whole influx of people coming from around the world, but but around Israel, and you'd have to like. There's more people that it's a wee bit crowded, not socially distanced. Not, not this is like Black distanced. Friday superb. Yeah, and so I I believe that this uh, festival. Offering was made available for those that that would not be able to um, be there on Sabbath because mm-hmm. once once Sabbath hits, you're not you're not traveling. Yeah, you're 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 stuck. Yep, you're there. And so, what's interesting is the Jesus and his disciples have this voluntary. On the night where the fourteenth starts, Jesus yep. Jesus is betrayed, and for and and the disciples they all scatter, mm-hmm. and some of the disciples you know or at least uh, John, the Apostle John, he's at the cross, and there's some ladies at the cross, so they are approaching Sabbath, they're going to deal with his body. And they're going to be unclean. They're going to be unclean. They can't do regular Passover the, on the fifteenth. They're not. They're not. At the very least, they're not making preparation. Yeah. Uh, they're in contact with Gentiles. Like uh, there's all these things that mm-hmm. that would get in the way of them experiencing their seder meal, like they have always experienced it. But Christ becomes the mandatory offering. Mm. So it wasn't that you would have this voluntary offering and, and you and you and, didn't do the other one. And you didn't do the the mandatory offering. <clears throat> it's just that you made this pilgrimage, and now you're you're yeah. you've gone all this way. You might as well really live it up. Absolutely, celebrating God and celebrating community. Go full bore. Go full bore, and and yet Christ becomes the mandatory offering, and for his disciples, they will never experience a Seder meal the same again. Mm. He's changed Passover for them. He has he has changed Passover, and I you know I connected this time uh, 
someone had mentioned, I think you read to me that um, this time that we're in right now with the social distancing and, and. Oh, yeah. Is my, it, yeah, my, I, I got a friend, a pastor from, he used to work for CIY, uh, Taylor Brown. Taylor Brown? Okay, I, got, I think I got that right. Um, he said that I think not to be like out of out of poor taste or whatever but I, I think this this time is going to be a sweet time for the church we're going to look on back on this as a sweet time for the church and, and it was not it's not not because of like this we, we enjoy this distance or anything like this but because it was a time that we were we were longing for connection we were longing to be with people mm. not just showing up to a church service right like we're longing for community Longing for our brothers and sisters. Yeah, and it was, just, it was that was a really good sentiment. Man, that the reunion that we're gonna have. Oh, how sweet is that gonna be? Yeah, the first time the first time we get to get back together and worship. Yeah, hot damn! Oh, I'm excited. We're gonna worship this Friday night, but it's gonna be a few of us. We're actually doing that service live. Yeah, we'll do. We're doing a Good Friday, Good Friday stream. And then we'll do, uh, and then we'll do our our uh, Sunday premiere of the the Sunday service. And then we'll do another live worship event here the in week a couple after, weeks. Yep. But, but it's gonna be like it's not it's not gonna be as sweet. It's not gonna be as sweet. Mm. But when we come back together, and for and and there was a cost to be paid at this Passover, this Last Supper, where where Christ becomes the sacrificial lamb. The, Behold the Lamb who takes away our sin, and and that was a truly horrific event for the disciples and mm-hmm. for Jesus's mother and, and Mary Magdalene and 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 for others that were there that that watched Christ go to the cross. Yeah. But every seder after that, what a celebration! <laughs> Man, how sweet that's gonna be! Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's good stuff. All right. Well, like we said, we got a uh, a stream coming up on Friday night for a Good Friday service. We got our Easter service on Sunday. I'd love to have you join us for that. Absolutely. Both of those can be found on. Uh, we'll have the links up on Facebook or at missionridge.church. You can follow the the links there, or just find us on YouTube, Mission Ridge Church. Uh, super easy to find. Love to have you join us for that. And uh, yeah, we'll uh, be back at it again next week with another tasty episode of Footnotes. Have a good one. Peace. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more footnotes. If this one doesn't have an Easter egg, I'd be so disappointed. I, yeah, that would be disappointing. <laughs> if this one didn't have, if this episode had no Easter egg. <laughs> no sweet little Easter tidbit at the end. Oh, we gotta have that. What would people do with no know. Easter egg? I don't. I don't, I don't know. Go and find the meaning of this. <laughs> <laughs>